travel teaches us on a very profound level just some things that you know that we probably won't get at home sometimes you know it doesn't mean that just because we're not traveling again that you know we can get that at home but there's something about travel of moving of leaving the familiar and going into the familiar to be vulnerable and to learn that is something that's the gift one of the gifts of travel From somewhere around the world, welcome to the Black Women Travel Podcast. Hi, my name is Wanda Duncan, and I'm so glad you're joining me as we explore the paths of Black women who've made travel a large part of their lives. Welcome to the show. Hey loves, it's Wanda, the host of the Black Women Travel Podcast. I'd like to invite you to become a patron of the Black Women Travel Podcast. There are a few budget-friendly tiers you can choose from so that as a community, we can continue to heal, ask for what we deserve, get it, and inspire the next generation. Tap the link in the show notes and choose a monthly contribution that suits you. I'm so excited about the episodes you'll hear that will nudge you to love yourself deeper and take more action in your life from that empowered place. Please consider becoming a monthly subscriber through patreon.com slash bwtpod. Get ready to hear another great episode. Thanks so much for joining us today. Can you please tell us your name, where you're from, your current location, and the name of your business? Thanks for having me. My name is Lola Kimadi Orkestrom. I'm from Nigeria, but I am now based in Stockholm, Sweden, and I run GeoTraveler Media, which is a travel multimedia company. So you are like the mother of all travel. (laughs) (laughs) You're like the mother of possibility in travel. Well, I am a Jill of all trades, you know, and I, I try to, um, you know, keep a consistent voice across all of those trades. So <laughs> so talk to us about like how travel entered your lives. Um, there are so many speeches that you've given, keynotes and so forth, interviews, and you talk about being a young girl in Nigeria and looking at maps and tracing the latitude and the longitude. Um, is travel something that your family introduced you to? Yes. So I've always come from a traveling family, all the way from my grandfather, who uh, was in the shipping business and actually went to Greenland as, le- as early as the 70s. And my dad, who is a geologist, who traveled a lot. We were a, a really uh, traveling family when I was younger. And uh, in school, geography was my favorite subject. I mean, I loved just looking at maps, learning about cultures, especially human geography. And so I knew travel was going to be in my life. I just wasn't sure in what way it was going to manifest itself. Um, because my passion is about learning cultures and learning about different people, how they live and why we are different and our similarities. And I knew travel was going to be the avenue I was going to use to explore that. So when you went to the United States at the age of like 15, turning 16, that's when you went college like you yes. started university at the age of 16 what was that yes what was that? yes I did what, I did so that must have been the <laughs> farthest that you've gone at that age and that's such a huge move for such a young person 
even in America, like you don't start until a couple of years later. So well, what was that move like for you? What yes. was entering university like for you? It, it was challenging, but I think before I, I went to college, um, I spent four or five years in boarding school. And so that already taught me how to be independent and resilient and be able to be very resourceful. And when you think about boarding school in Africa, it's not like boarding school where royals go, right? It's not, it's not that kind of like boarding school. This is like a boot camp for kids where you actually learn, you know, to sometimes read and study, for example, by candlelight or, or just, you know, some really physical demanding labor, but it's all to prepare you for life. So you have the skills you, can, you need to adjust in whatever situation you find yourself. So at 16, I was already a lot more emotionally mature in terms of being able to uh, be independent and resilient. And I had a great sense of self even at that age, even though I still hadn't experienced a lot. So it was a difficult transition because I was going to a new culture, but I was also going to a new culture with a deep sense of who I already was. And was it difficult for you to be away from your family? I know at boarding school, you were already away, but this is like away, away. Yes. And when I moved, you know, I, I, I moved and was living with an uncle and aunt, you know, with my uncle and aunt there. So for the first um, two years, I lived with them and then I moved out on my own when I was uh, 17, turning 18. So I started living on my own. So in that sense, I had some family, you know, so it wasn't like I, I just went and started living on my own at 15. So I was living with them. But yes, it's, it's always hard when you can't uh, see your family for years. And it's when you come in on, you know, like a student visa, just traveling back and forth isn't as fluid, you know. And so it, it, it was a challenging time in terms of being away from family, but also I, I knew how to cope with long distances and not seeing them for months. Yeah. So you have two children of your own now. Is, is, your, is the way you were brought up something that you want to share with them? Like, do you want them to have a similar experience? I, I, yes. And um, um, in the sense that I want them to be really aware of the world at a very young age. And that's what I've been doing. You know, um, I've been blessed and fortunate to be able to travel a lot with them. I mean, my daughter had been to, to 20 countries already before she was uh, four or five. You know, I'd taken her a lot with me. And I want them to be able to kind of move fluidly from culture to f- culture and just see people as they are. Because sometimes you can easily tell when kids aren't around people from other places. You know, they stare, they gawk, they act uncomfortable. But my kids are very comfortable with whoever comes in front of them in terms of whether what they look like or what they sound like. And that's for, for me, that's very important for them to realize that even though we're all different, even though we all come from different places, I want them to see the individual first. So that's what I, I am doing and that's what I am you know, transferring to my kids. That's also like your approach to photography. Um, Yes. (laughs) You got into photography because you wanted to be seen. It came from your longing. You gave this, this talk about your creative. Let me quote you accurately. (laughs) You said, oftentimes a source of our creative voice is a space or a place that was denied us. Yes. And so when you went to America, you talked about feeling isolated and 
Yes. Not being seen. And you made a website. And yes. <laughs> looking back at the website, <laughs> you, you could see <laughs> you could see some changes oh, yeah. that you'd make yeah. as modern day Lola. But um, <laughs> yes. So just to talk, wanting yeah. to be seen. Yeah. yeah. So just to talk about that, because when you think about it, the very base human emotion is acknowledgement, right? We all want to be acknowledged. And we don't want to be acknowledged just because, I mean, there are some people that are just, you know, very narcissistic and just want to be seen all the time. But what I'm talking about is not that, but more just the base acknowledgement. Do you see me? Do you see me for who I am? And do I have, can I exist without explanation? Can I exist in this space without explaining who I am? And so for me, that's very important because oftentimes when you go into a space or into a place, where that is denied you or the things that was denied you, then you come, you become an advocate for that, right? So think about all the people that have maybe been discriminated against or marginalized. Then they somehow become advocates for that cause. And so for me, it's about acknowledgement, right? When I moved to the U.S., you know, I came, like I said, you know, when I moved, I already had a deep sense of kind of who I was culturally, what I understood, what my values were. And so when I moved to the U.S., I moved into a space where people kind of already wanted to define who I was for me based on who I looked, based on what I looked like. Oh, you're black. Yes, your box. Go sit there. Right. And so for me, that was happening. I became very isolated. for many years and then for me I try to do that in my work so when I go to a place I try not to tell somebody's story I want the person to tell me their story themselves through my work right and that means you're fully acknowledging people you're giving them the space to tell them how they want to be shown to the world how they want to be portrayed and so for me that's something I'm really cognizant about in the portraits I take, in the photography I do, in the writing I do. It's let the person speak for themselves. They have their own voice. I'm not giving them a voice. I'm not giving the voiceless a voice. Everybody has their own voice. I need to be quiet enough to hear them speak. Is that also why you don't post pictures of your children? <laughs> um, that could, I think that could be subconsciously it. I mean, I know on Facebook I do, you know, with just uh, close friends and family, but not publicly because even some things need to be kept private. You know, I mean, the world, as wonderful as the world is, there are also people that um, can do you harm, you know, and, and you have to also keep something private, right? You're, yes, your life can be an open book in terms of being vulnerable and and letting people know that they can connect with you on things or, and, and say, look, we are similar. But I don't think just sharing every single thing makes you more authentic. You know, I, I mean, there should be some, I mean, that's why I think of people where you, 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 you don't know if they're married or have kids or, and they've been in the public eye for a long time. There should be a space that, that's still sacred in your life where you can still keep some things that are still close to you that people don't have to know everything about and so for me it's protecting my kids that way you know protecting my relationship that way and just realizing that I can just because my I do a lot online doesn't mean my entire life and my entire existence 
existence as to be online. So actually, that's like very Swedish of you, <laughs> right? Because you say that the Swedish people are very open, but they're very private. Yes. Private. <laughs> so you're so warm, so well, open, you... but then like. <laughs> well, and, and, and yes, the thing, right? So I, I'm a lover of culture and, and I've lived in very three kind of distinct cultures long enough to be able to pull out their nuances and take the parts I like and leave the parts I don't like, right? So, and that's what I call creating your own super culture, where you pick the best of each of the cultures you've spend time with and then you leave the rest and so for me Swedish culture there are many things I don't like but there are also many things I do like and I've picked some of those and I've kind of incorporated them into my life right so I'll give you an example I I love just I love being Nigerian right we're just very vibrant and you know we live like there's no tomorrow you know and and, and in the U.S., it's okay to just show all your cards at once, right? Just say, oh, this is what I've done. This is where I've gone to school, la, 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 la. One of the things I learned in, in Sweden is Swedish culture is more like an onion, right? So you just keep peeling and peeling and peeling until <laughs> the person actually shows all their cards. And so that's one of the things I've kind of started incorporating into my life is just share what's needed, what's necessary when asked, you know, and then if it's not necessary, then why am I just willingly sharing it? You know what I mean? So that's one of the things I've kind of taken from Swedish culture and put in my life is share what's necessary and not overshare if it's not needed. Um, it kind of reminds me of Chimamanda um, showing up mm. with the baby. Like she was pregnant and didn't let anybody <laughs> <Exactly>. know. <laughs> just shut yeah. up with the baby like, what? <laughs> also exactly. what you're saying reminds me of like black culture like so mm. where i come from if there are black people sitting in the room you don't just come into the room and like not say nothing <laughs> you you're mm. supposed to acknowledge mm. like you say hello hi good afternoon you say yes. something you don't just yes like it's considered disrespectful i don't i don't know yeah, how two kids are doing but that's yeah. the way i was raised <laughs> No, absolutely. And, 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 and think about, you know, I, I grew up Nigerian, you know, and uh, Yoruba, so that's my tribe. And so we have our own cultures. We have, our, the, you know, I mean, the respect we have for elders, you know, is just deep, you know. And so there are so many things that I've taken from my culture, from American culture, from Swedish culture. And I've, I'm creating kind of, you know, my own family culture, my own personal culture as well. So, yes, absolutely. And, and that's what makes it great is that for example you know swedish culture they are not that great at acknowledgement they don't really acknowledge very well that's actually a weakness i think in my culture we acknowledge and i think you've seen you remember when all those um, beauty queens were winning and they said miss nigeria was celebrating like it was like she was the one that won right <laughs> nigeria <laughs> nigerians know how to celebrate you like they really you know, they do. And, and that's why if, you're, if there's a party going on, you just show up even if you're not invited because they're like, we're here to celebrate you. So that is stuff where you can bring into this culture where it's not a great culture that doesn't, it doesn't really celebrate people as it should. Those are things I'm not going to give up. You know what I mean? So it's best to, you know, what I've been doing is taking the best of the, each culture and creating my own super culture. That's the really dope thing about travel. And it seems like you've been 
uh, internalizing and like meditating on how things are. So it's really nice to be able to practice that in your own setting and stitch together the parts that you enjoy. Absolutely. I think that's the beauty of, of travel. And I think that's what we do not want to lose is that travel teaches us on a very profound level. Just some things that, you know, that we probably won't get at home sometimes, you know. It doesn't mean that just because we're not traveling again that, you know, we can get that at home. But there's something about travel, of moving, of leaving the familiar and going into the unfamiliar to be vulnerable and to learn. That is something, that's the gift, one of the gifts of travel. So you, after graduating and working in the States uh, for some years, you actually worked in interactive maps and everything. And yes, you, you stayed true yeah. to that geography. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. I got it in there somehow. <laughs> and then you was online flirting. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's how you ended up in Sweden because this man lived in Sweden. You talk about, I know. you talk about taking a leap of faith. So that was 2006. What was that like? So when I, and, and that's the thing, because when I, uh, met my husband, we met online and remember 2006 online dating was still, there was so much stigma attached to it because at that time it was new. People assumed that if you went online, then you are desperate and there was something wrong with you and nobody wanted you, <laughs> you know? And back then, especially even being Nigerian, my parents were like, well, what have we done wrong? Oh my God, why is she going online? What's this? You know, but you have to understand, if I hadn't gone online, it wouldn't have opened up this world to me, right? Like I wouldn't have, I would have limited my, my, uh, I guess my pool of men I could have picked from. But I said, you know what? I travel a lot, you know, I'm an open-minded person. Why not create a profile that's more international? And that's how we met, you know, and then uh, we're just friends for a couple of months. And then I traveled to Stockholm. And then we started flying back and forth. And then we started dating. And at that time, I was working as a programmer. And my company realized I was traveling a lot and working remotely a lot. And they said, look, we like you. We we don't want to lose you. So how about we do this deal? You go work remotely for three months and come back every three months. And so by doing that for two years, that really helped us solidify the, the relationship and make it work. Otherwise, it would have been a lot more difficult. And challenging. So, what made you fall in love with him? <laughs> what made me fall in love with my husband? I think my husband is an amazing, amazing man. And I think he has a way with words and a way with communicating. And for me, I'm a person that, you know, I'm a lover of words as well. And so, one of the things that made me fall in love with him was our own relationship really was built on communication right because if you're not living in the same place it's not always physical you know it's not because you can sit on a couch with somebody for three hours and not say a word or you can say a lot in three hours when you're not together and you're forced to describe how your boring day was for three hours right so that is one of the things that just kind of started peeling back the layers and you get to know the person because you're really simply just talking and you're not physically there. 
And of course, beyond that, he's an amazing guy. He speaks many languages. He's open-minded. He's a Christian. He's got great values. I mean, those are that you know, it's just many amazing things. But I think that beginning communication was what really brought us really close. We became really, really good friends first because we could talk about anything and everything. I think some women, Black women travelers, are concerned about finding suitable partners, um, maybe because of the moving piece or Mm. the cultural differences and getting over language barriers and stuff like that. And then also in some places, like not feeling wanted as a Black woman, what Mm. would you say to these women who are concerned about finding a partner? This is what I'll say. You know, life is short. I mean, it's very cliche. Life is short for you to live your life based on other people's expectations of what you should be doing. Most of it is is uh, pressure from society, right? Well, you're a black woman, you know, then you have to kind of do this, do that, do this. This is what you... And I think that is what is limiting a lot of us from really following our hearts fully or trying or exploring, you know, in ways that we could. And so this is one of the things I always say is as difficult as it is, you have this one life, you are responsible for your life. Society will always try to put you in a box. Your life was not made to be lived in boxes, you know? And so it's, it's scary. Putting yourself out there is very scary. I mean, when I moved to Sweden, I quit my job. It was a comfortable, great job. I jumped into a new life, trying to learn a new language, trying to figure out a new culture, trying to pretty much doing everything from scratch. But knowing that, you know what, no matter what, I know myself, I know my values, I know my strengths, no matter what situation I find myself, I will still be able to carve out a life for myself based on my strengths. So I think my advice will will be just, Again, life is really, if anything, if anything is teaching us that right now, is that life, you need to live life. You, you can't come here and live half of who you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be here, show up fully in your authenticity and just live your life and screw what other people says. That's it. Your personal mantra is why not? Mm. And you gave a TEDx speech on the power of asking why not. So you talk a lot about closed doors yes, and how they exist and what to do because they do exist. You talk about creating our own tables, but also needing to sit at those tables that we're being excluded from. Um, I really love this quote. You said, when you start living your life beyond other people's expectations of you, you become impossible to ignore. And then you said, I am enough talking about yourself in the specific uh, example you gave of having to get around doors that were closed to you. Exactly. Exactly. And and let me talk about this because there are many ways of looking at closed doors, right? So society says the door is closed, you know, screw that door. I don't want to go to that door. You know, what is not for you is not for you. If sometimes doors are closed out of ignorance out of lack of information for many reasons. And when you ask, why not? What you're doing is you're asking somebody to give you a valid, legitimate reason 
why they don't want you in that room. Most of the time, it could be lack of understanding because for me, culture is a big thing. And sometimes we talk culturally and there's a cultural barrier and maybe we're not understanding each other because we're not speaking the same metaphoric language. So sometimes asking why not keeps digging so that the person finally understands, oh, I'm so, oh yes, that's it. Of course, you're supposed to be here. Another reason for asking why not is you're, you're showing people that they are prejudiced because there are a lot of people that say, I'm not racist. I don't, I'm not racist. I don't believe this. Then if you keep asking them, then why not? Then why not? Then you are forcing them to justify and give you valid reasons until they finally realize, you know what? I am racist. I didn't want to admit it, but now it's true. And then another reason when you ask why not is, I think it's important and I think we should keep creating our own tables, creating our own spaces. But the problem as well is that our narratives are still being defined in those rooms where we are not in. You know what I'm saying? So we're creating excellence outside of the rooms where we are supposed to be. And so sometimes you just have to break down that cluster by force because somebody is sharing this in this false narrative of who you are or, or, or who we are as people behind closed doors. So we need to go in there and say, look, we have to change this narrative and we can't just change it in communities on the side. We actually have to change it with a megaphone in those rooms so it reaches everybody. You're following me, right? Absolutely. And then, yeah, and then, you know, in terms of being enough, just asking why not, Sometimes we doubt ourselves. We doubt ourselves. And one of the things I always say is, even though we're not superhuman beings, we are capable of doing incredible things when we are summoned and we are enough. And sometimes we doubt ourselves. We say, why not? So if we don't ask ourselves, why not me? Then it doesn't really push you to try things. And if I hadn't asked myself, why not? I probably wouldn't be in this career or in this stage of my career because I I saw these spaces that was just for white men. And I'm like, why not? Why am I not allowed into that space? And then I, and then, then I went for it, you know? So asking why not isn't just always asking other people, but it's also asking ourselves so we can start living the best version of ourselves. You have come up against pretty much all the closed doors, but you've gotten, (laughs) you've gotten all the accolades (laughs) that, well, I don't know if all of them, you probably want more because I could just see, I can see the (laughs) insatiable (laughs) drive in you, but like like your photography, um, you specifically Mm. wanted to normalize black women travel photographers. You wanted to be in the North pole. You wanted to be, in Fiji, you wanted to be in all these places where Black women weren't necessarily, uh, other Black women travel photographers weren't necessarily. Um, and that's really interesting to me. Because, like, I, I guess mm. that's the Swedish part yeah. of you, like, not, because you're not like, yeah, girl, I was in BBC, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, National Geographic. <laughs> like, you don't talk, you don't really... Mm. I mean, you mm. say those things because people need those things, not because you need those things, but people need those things in yeah. order to. Like, exactly. you're, you're a part of the Travel Massive yeah. uh, group. You have your own group that you started there to 
unify the Nords. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. And, and just to speak to that, you know, for me, even though, yes, the accolades come over time through hard work, um, for me, the accolades is to normalize it. It's so that it's not, it's no longer a big thing like, oh, you're the first black woman or, oh, the first black African. No, like for me, I want to get to the point, I want society to get to the point where those things actually don't matter anymore, right? Uh, that's, that's the idealist in me that just says, oh, Look at that amazing travel photographer Ooh, who happens to be black, you know, and society isn't there yet, you know. And so what I'm trying to do through my work is also to show, you know, that, yes, you can be a, you can be a, a, a travel photographer of African descent that gets that works on the highest level. You know, and for me, that's what I'm trying to break the barrier is trying to normalize it, you know, trying to say that, you know, not all travel photographers look like rugged white guys that just came down Everest and then model for Gucci or whatever, you know, like we're also, you know, that there's just a broad range. So that's one of the things I try to do. And then in terms of um, just drive, I've always lived my, my life out of boxes. So that's, and that's what I'm trying to, you know, also tell people is that once you live your life outside of boxes or what people think you're supposed to be doing, then you become impossible to ignore. Because people are going to say, who is that person that's just saying, doing whatever they actually want to do? Because, you know, and is saying society can hold that down. Even if society tries to do that every single day, right? So for me, it's about not being comfortable and being pushed into boxes and being told this is what you need to do with your life. So if I want to go to the North Pole, I haven't been there yet. I know I'm going to go there one day, you know during this lifetime. And even if I, even if I end up not going, you know, at least it's opening that doors for others to say, you know what? My dream is not audacious. My dream is not audacious. And that's what I want people to, to start realizing is that nothing is audacious. Don't let society force you into a box and just live your life as authentically and as yourself. You need to show up fully in your life and just live it. What is your plan to get to the North Pole? What's the, what's, the, what's the plan? <laughs> right, right now, there's no plan. I just, you know, I've, uh, I've given it, I haven't given it up. I've just left it up to God, <laughs> you know, and just say, you know what, if God, if it's in your plan for me, you know, then it will be. So at this point, it's not like, oh, I must go to the North Pole. It is my dream. It's one of my dreams. I, I would love to go to Antarctica as well. That's one of my dreams, you know, but I'm now just living life and just showing up fully. In whatever I do, so so for me, it's never about um, you know maybe racing around the world or doing this or, or checking things off a bucket list. It's more of like my dreams. No matter what dream I have, it's never too audacious, even if people don't understand it. So th- that's that's the that's the mindset I want to cultivate in my own kids is that your dream is not audacious. Just go for it as best as you can, even if it takes a lifetime. Go for it. Your first Instagram post was April 2012. Uh-oh. <laughs> it has, it's a photo of an ashtray and there's a cigarette butt in it, um, like on a table. Okay. And the yes. caption is messing around with Instagram. Um, so you talk about using modern tools. So you've been at this for years. Um, 
but you talk about <laughs> change yeah. being inevitable, change being a part of life and using modern yes. tools in order to cater to people. And you also talk about mm. not losing your voice as you are dancing with the trends, the current trends. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. So your voice is usually, your voice usually comes from that space, right? You know, that's, that's been denied you. You know, so if you, um, so for me, I'm really, I, I talk a lot about, you know, isolation or, or acknowledging people or listening or, or making sure people have space to, to just be themselves, share their voices, tell me what they want. And so my own voice is also sharing the world to the world how I think, how I view things without also judging somebody else's own approach, right? Because for me, I'm a very, I, I say I'm a very civil person and, I, I'm, and I'm a very, I'm a mediator. I like to find common ground because I came from a place where it was over 250 different tribes with over 500 different languages and dialects, all in the, in the, in the side of Texas, right? So that's so like Nigeria, that's for me. So for me, being able to live side by side with people that have totally different ways of living and, and still finding common ground and, and finding that uh, thread of humanity to connect on is important for me. That's where kind of my voice comes out of. Now, just because things change, I can't jump on, like right now, there's TikTok. I'm not on TikTok. I'm, I'm probably like, I probably should be, but I, I right now I don't understand why <laughs> I need to be, you know, and that's a trend. It may be the most powerful social media platform in the next few years, and I may have missed the boat, but I don't care, right? Because that's not for me what life is about jumping on the latest trends. It's about finding the best places that works with my voice and using the tools that work the best with the voice. So it's about picking and choosing, you know, what platforms, what trends that make sense for your voice. So, so those are the things where I, do, I just don't jump on trends just because, because it's also about sustainability and longevity. Because one of the things, I've been in the industry for a long time. I've also been on the, the kind of the periphery of the industry as well. So I know what's going on. I know how trends are changing. I know the new groups, what's going on. But I also kind of stay in my lane and listen, but keep doing things in a sustainable way for me. And one of the things that's real is burnout. And burnout occurs when we start over catering to other people, right? When the reason why we did it, we got into it in the first place becomes secondary to just performing for other people. So for me, that's very important to, for you to be able to have this kind of longevity or sustainability and while still breathing, you need to keep going back to that voice, keep going back to your why, keep going back to your values and make and making sure that everything you're doing is not because you're just catering to people to get followers, to 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 always be on lists, to always, you know, be seen as the best or this. For me, that's not the most important. Mine is more consistency, making sure what I'm I'm putting out is consistent with that voice. And speaking of 
change. You wrote a very gorgeous piece uh, the end of March. So travelers aren't traveling <laughs> right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, you you even spoke to this before. I think you're a prophetess. Like <laughs> you spoke to this well before. So in in that post that you wrote, you put up a slide of something that you'd shown in a a, a speech years prior. It said, "Travel is not your passion. Travel is the avenue." Yes. And so we've yes. become accustomed to booking these accommodations and flights, you know, transportation, whatever, and a lot of us have had to stop and sit still. Mm. Um, what, yes. what, is, what is the advice you have about sustainability when it comes to mm. how people are moving these days and the changes that need to be made these days with so much uncertainty in the air? Yes. So, so I'm going to kind of backtrack a little bit to just kind of travel not being your passion. Um, in 2015, I gave a, a keynote that talked about transitions as opportunities in our lives. And I said, one of the things as a travel blogger, one of the things that kills your credibility, your street cred is not traveling, right? <laughs> because you build your life about around traveling. But that was when I started kind of telling the industry that was in 2015, that travel is the avenue we've chosen, that the passion itself is something else that has drawn us to use travel as the avenue to explore it. And I give examples of people that maybe love to cook or dance or just, you know, draw, but I've also used travel to explore that. They could be dancers in dance companies, you know, but they've chosen to, to learn about dance in different countries. They've used travel. They could be artists, you know, or, or illustrators for marketing companies, but they've chosen to become sketch artists who travel. And so, your passion is something that you can do both at home or, or on the road. Travel is just the avenue we choose. And, I, and I, I want you to look at it this way. Think of your passion as a pot of water, right? And then the avenues are the different sizes of the stoves, you know, so the smaller ones for boiling the bigger one. If you put that pot of water on a smaller kind of, um, you know, stove head, it's going to boil, but it takes a longer time. If you put it on a bigger one, it boils quickly. The bigger one is travel. The it's, that's why many of us choose uh, travel is because it makes that passion come alive quicker. It, it excites us. I, could, I love culture, right? So if I took my pot of culture and put it on a small, uh, you know, small thing, then I could maybe be working for like a, you know, maybe I could be working for the UN or I could be working for a different kind of organization where I get to kind of experience culture. I still get my passion filled that way. But if I move that pot to travel to a bigger, then it gets <laughs> even more excited. So I hope you're following kind of that analogy is we've chosen travel because travel boils our passions faster. There is something, it's the movement, is the, it's, it, it adds something that gets our passion boiling faster. The passion itself is not the travel. And so now, now we can travel. We can't travel as, we, as much as we would like. It's the opportunity for us to take a step back and, and figure out what it is that drew us to travel. What is that underlying passion? 
Is it cooking? Is it because if you like to cook, then that means maybe you like to explore different co- uh, foods and you enjoy eating when you travel. Is that what you do when you travel? And then finding, if you find those base, base passions, then you can start finding other avenues in the meantime. And I'll give you a quick example of myself, you know. Like I said, I really love tra- uh, culture and exploring different cultures and connecting and, and, and building that um, bridge between similarities. And I was just surfing the web the other day and I saw like a job with like the United Nations Refugee um, you know, Council and my, ha- my heart rate started rising, right? And I was like, why? Because that job position had, had something to do with like culture and bridging and communicating. And for me, that was a reminder to me that that is my passion. There's something about listening to people, creating that space and and creating that uh, connection and bridge. So look at the things that kind of get your blood raising that have nothing to do with travel, because that could be that could be it, the passion, if you still don't know what it truly is. Because if we never get to travel for the rest of our lives, then are you going to say you lived a passionate life? passionless passionless life no so that's one of the things i want people to think about is if we never get to travel again you still live the life of purpose and your life was not passionless have you had support as you've figured out through the years how to incorporate more travel into your life like you talked about the job situation you talked about their family a little bit yes yes so once I chose travel as my avenue, I realized I needed to own this decision and then create this support structure in place, you know, to support this decision. And so my husband, he goes to school full time. He, he's not working right now. He's, he's, uh, he used to be a journalist and now he's, he's uh, training to be a Swedish teacher, you know, and so he is a lot more flexible in terms of being home with the kids, maybe picking them up. So that dynamic is working right now. And that is what allows me, because I am the breadwinner, and so I travel and go to work and I'm bringing money. And, uh, and so that dynamic, especially also living in a Swedish society where that's also more common, has really helped and supported this me using travel it's not that it's easy. I'm not sitting on like mass, you know, pots of wealth, you know, but we've created a situation that allows it, allows me to travel while my husband is a lot more flexible and he goes to school full time. So everybody's situation is different. There are many travel writers that, you know, or travel bloggers that maybe their spouses are the ones that are bringing in the income or working or are married to really wealthy people. So that makes their own situation maybe a lot easier. And there are those where, that are also single parents, you know, and they are the ones that have to do everything and take care of the kids. So everybody's situation is different. But once you decide that you want to use travel as your avenue, then you're, go, you're going to have to work really hard to create that support structure in place, whether it's finding extended family members that are going to help you. Now it's up to you to create that, to own that decision and then create the system in place to support that decision. It's so interesting how your independence has followed you Mm. from childhood all the way through now. 
is very interesting <laughs> because you are just a very on your own two feet. Like, okay, here's the problem. What's the solution? Let's get to it. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think um, again that also came from you know with just all those years in boarding school really helped. And I'm also one of the believers that just because you're married and you have kids, your life doesn't end in terms of like you don't become somebody else. You don't lose who you are as a person. That's why self-care is important. That's why taking breaks for your own mental health is important. If you can, you know, that's why for me, travel also is great because sometimes I can get away to breathe, you know, and then come back and then hug my kids again, you know. So you, you, you can't forget yourself or who you are just because you move into a different life transition. And I think that's something that's very difficult for a lot of people to is, well, my life is over now. I have kids. What am I going to do? No, <laughs> your life isn't. Your life is actually sweeter and richer now. And you're going to now learn new skills. You're going to now learn how to get things done with <laughs> even less time. <laughs> you know? so, so, so that's how I see life is that every transition you go, to, go through just strengthens you, gives you more skills, makes you a better version of yourself, even if at that moment you don't see it. And so that's how I want people to kind of, when I gave that keynote on transitions, is to see every new transition as a, an opportunity to reinvent yourself. Like people should not be looking at you and say, oh, 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 she was so cool. Oh, now she, now she just had a baby. Well, that means we're not going to hear from her in a while. No, they should say, oh my goodness, she just had a baby. Oh my goodness, what is she going to do next now? Right? Because every transition in your life is an opportunity to reinvent yourself, you know, and to, and to come out stronger and better in different ways. So, Would you mind sharing some of your self-care practices? <laughs> so um, I love to read. I mean, I, I love to read. So I, I usually take a lot of time. I just chunk of time. I read. Um, I love to get massages. And now, of course, with what's going on, I can't do it. But I usually try to get one at least once every week or two weeks, just um, a massage where I just pretty much fall asleep and then the, <laughs> the masseuse is like, wake up. <laughs> um, you know, I try to get some exercise in. I could be getting a lot more, but, you know, try to move. Just for me, self-care is doing the things I really love to do. I love to play the guitar. I suck at it, but that's fine. You're allowed to suck at many things in life. And that's one, one of the things I proudly suck at. So I, I, uh, I practice my guitar. I love to write. I write fiction, you know, and, and so hobbies, you know, I, I always say that every hobby, you, we should always allow ourselves to be vulnerable. Everybody needs that space. So we don't have to monetize every hobby. Every hobby doesn't have to be a passion. Hobbies are things that where you can suck and fail at, and it's okay. That's what keeps you vulnerable. <laughs> So I look at, so those are my ways of self-care. It's just, uh, you know, just getting away, finding some space for myself, reading, trying some of my hobbies, things like that. Just really basic things, getting offline. You used to paint as well, oil paint. Um, and you used to draw, uh, I think it was a weekly cartoon called Office Supplies. Yes. <laughs> but yes. you're not, those aren't your current hobbies. You don't paint or draw currently. No, no, but I, but they, but I, I'm looking at reviving them, but I just don't have time for everything, right? 
Um, so I paint, I used to paint. Yeah, I guess, I, was, I guess you don't have to do all your hobbies. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I just pick whichever one feels right at what time. But um, like with the oil painting, that's how I actually got into photography. I used to travel, take photos, and then come back to paint from those photos. And then that's when I started realizing I could just stick with photography. I'm duplicating effort. <laughs> and then, um, but I miss it. I really do. And so I think what I'm trying to do is build a lifestyle so that I can do a lot more of my hobbies and work smarter and, more, and less, but still bring in a lot more income. So that's where I'm getting to. So that a bigger chunk of my time is spent on my hobbies. And office supplies, I love that cartoon. It's just an hiatus right now, but that's one I'm going to revive because it's it's very original. I think it's funny. And, you know, I think it's something that I could really sell. So that's something that I'm probably going to revive at some point. Part of your nonfiction writing um, is a book called Afro Swede. Yes, that's fiction. So that's, that's right. my fiction. That's a novel. Oh, that's fiction. Okay, yeah, okay. Yes, yes. Oh, yes. So it's about three different women, obviously, in different stages and different circumstances. Yes. In Sweden. Yes. So is it biographical at all? No, <laughs> not at all. Not, not, not at all. I, I think that's the one question people are going to ask once they read it, once they get it published, but not at all. I think uh, what that's a book I haven't read or seen yet in sweden and there are so many voices because when you ask somebody what, what's it like to be a black woman in in america people most people have an idea right just generally what's it like to be a black british woman yeah, most people have an idea what's it like to be a black woman in scandinavia most people don't know what it's like to be a black woman in scandinavia and so this so what i want to do is start introducing that true these book, these novels I'm writing, where it's going to start introducing different voices of women, all fictional, but kind of based on years of experience, based on of observation of things I've heard, to create so that people can see what's it like to be a black woman in, that that's working in a career or that's married or that's maybe an immigrant or a refugee. Give those voices so people can hear them because they are very important. And as you can see. This all ties down to my passion, to my work about voices, giving people space so you can hear their voice. So that's what this kind of old Afro Swede series uh, books I'm, I'm I'm writing three of them is going to be. So, may I ask, how do you like to explore a new place? Mm. So one of the things so i'm a big advocate of slow travel right and for me slow travel isn't about the duration you spend at a, in a place which is i don't need to spend three weeks in a place to feel like i've slow traveled the place to me slow travel is the pace with which you explore a place meaning how fast do you move through the place and so if you pick one theme you know and then you explore a place just through one thing, then you can actually slow travel through a place. You don't have to know everything about a place, but you can get deeper through one thing. And I'll give you an example. I love being around just kind of uh, traditional lifestyles or people that are just kind of working with their hands. So like activists or, you know, or like even people that fish, you know, and I love hanging around fishermen and fish markets and working with fishmongers. And so if I'm exploring a place, 
and I want to learn a bit about that culture, then I can actually go and explore, you know, the fish markets, go down to the beach, learn, talk to some of the fishermen, learn about the place through that thing, even if it's just 24 hours in the place. That means I've gone deeper into the place through one aspect. And then I can write with a lot more authority based on just that deeper access. And so for me, that's how I explore a place. I don't just run around and, and take a photo in front of every single site. <laughs> I pick what I really like. Oh, is this place known for this kind of artistry? Then I go and then I learn from, the, from those people and get to know a few of those people and get into the culture through one deeper route that way. That's how I, that's how I explore. What do you say that traveling as a black woman has impacted the quality or the experiences that you have when you travel? I think it has been both extremes, right? So it has gone from one end of total acceptance to the other end of total rejection. I've actually been in places where I've been chased out of the store just because I was black. Just said, get out of my store, go looking through the window, <laughs> you know? And I've been in places where they've just fully accepted me and pulled me in, in places as, as remote as like uh, the borders, border between Uzbekistan and Tajikistan, you know, like, so travel as a black woman, you're already traveling against a narrative that's been created for you in those rooms. You know, remember we're talking about those rooms and those tables where people have created a narrative of this is how black women are. And so some places you go into and you get met right away with that narrative. Your job is to be who you are authentically. Personally, I do that, but I also feel like I'm a cultural ambassador. So I try to change that narrative when I am met with it. And I remember when I was in uh, Uzbekistan, I mean, I took so many selfies with a lot of locals because many of them hadn't seen a black woman before. I was exhausted, but I kept doing it because I knew that if I was the black, the only black person they ever saw in their lifetime, I want them to say, oh, she was, this black person was great. She was nice. <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't want to, in a sense, I took on that burden to try and change that narrative, even if it was just for that one person. So it's not, it's a very crazy burden to bear. But for me personally, that's how I think about it. Because my, my goal is to keep changing that narrative, that fake false narrative that's being created at tables without our, without our own voices. So, yeah, so that's kind of how it's been for me as a black woman as I've traveled. Is that why you have kept your accent? Because that's been intentional. <laughs> well, it's intentional, but it's also... I didn't understand why I needed to change it. Like, I don't, you know, you know what I mean? So it wasn't that it was just so intentional that, you know what, it's a political statement, but it was also, why, why am I not allowed to keep my accent? Because for me, you know, that's my mantra, why not? <laughs> so, um, so when I moved to a place, yes, you know, you're going to, I pick up, like from my tone, you can pick up a little bit of maybe, you can tell that, oh, maybe I live in the U.S. a little bit, or you can start picking up some of the lilt of a Swedish, because I speak Swedish as well. But my accent is very Nigerian. And that's, I grew up in Nigeria. That's just the way I speak. 
my my uh, tone changes as I learn new languages or I as I speak in places. But for me to consciously drop my accent and make it and just pick on another accent, that's not who I am. Remember, I'm talking about super cultures where I pick the best of each culture to create my own who I am. My voice is pretty much that. My voice as <laughs> is pretty much a merging of all those three cultures as well and my, and my accent. So, so yeah, it's, it, for me, it's, it's just a thing of why, am I, why should my accent change? You know, it, it shouldn't. It's who I am. You said it wasn't necessarily to be political, but a lot of times just by being ourselves um, <laughs> in our skin, if we're, you know, wearing whatever hair. Exactly. And if we have accents, it, it is political yes. for us to be <laughs> ourselves. So Yeah, it yeah. is. And, and, and again, it I goes, like that. And it also goes back to what I said about once you start living your life beyond people's expectations, you become impossible to ignore. And then people start question, questioning, who are you? Who do you think you are? Why do you exist? Why are you this? So yes, every single act feels political, but that's because society has made it that way. Society has, th- those rooms have said this is one way. And if we break that, then it becomes a political act. And so, so that is, uh, yeah, so just being ourselves, even though it shouldn't be political because of the way the world is set up right now is is there anything in particular, Lola, that helps you to feel grounded? Mm. Yes. I mean, I am a Christian. I am a practicing Christian. And, you know, I have deep faith. And that keeps me grounded. That keeps me humble. That keep, gives me perspective. Because in the grand scheme of things, the things we worry about are nothing, right? In this grand, grand scheme of life. And so for me, having that deep faith, knowing that there's someone, there's something, there's an energy, there's a force so much more bigger than all of this, and that force is love, that is what grounds me. That is what makes me try to find bridges between our similarities through love. That is what as is what kind of flows through me. And that is, uh, that is what guides me. My guiding principle is, is love. You know, I always approach things from a place of understanding, of a, a place of benefit of doubt, a place of grace, because I have been granted grace, I have been granted mercy by God. So that is how I, I live my life. I try to approach it from, from those uh, points as well. So that is what really grounds me. And do you have a song, lyric, or a poem that speaks to you these days? <laughs> there are so many so many i think um one of my favorite proverbs is a yoruba proverb which is from my language and it says uh the sky is big enough for all birds to fly without touching each other right because sometimes a lot of us especially in this industry move from us from a mind sense of scarcity where you feel like you have to position yourself to be the best but that proverb says but the sky is big enough for all of us to shine, you know. For me, I it's for me, it's very important to know how to share space and share space confidently and let everybody shine. You know what I mean? So that for me is a is a proverb I love. Um, I love my my favorite band is U2. So a lot of their lyrics, I mean, they just have some amazing lyrics. I even wrote, wrote a blog post about. 37 business lessons you can learn from YouTube lyrics. 
So there's always a, a YouTube lyric um, that works for me. And then my name, so my name is Lola, but my full name is Onoara Lola Onua. And it means God moves in mysterious ways. And of course, there's a YouTube song called Mysterious Ways, God Moves in Mysterious Ways. So that's, of course, is my favorite <laughs> song in the whole world. So there are many uh, lyrics and poems and quotes. Um, but I think the one of the biggest ones that I found recently that I love is you want to be the woman, always be the woman that adjusts another woman's crown in private and then send her out. You know what I mean? So you always adjust each other's crowns in private and then push her out and not just publicly bring down your friend or publicly bring down somebody just because a crown is a little bit crooked. So that for me is, is something I always guide. I always reach out to the end of the scenes. I always call in. I don't call out unless if it's, you know, obviously something that needs to be really called out. But if I say it's just a mistake, I call people in and I pray from a space of love, of understanding, of grace and give advice. So those, so those are the kind of quotes that have been talking to me recently. So, <laughs> And you said that Nigerians love celebrating. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> how do you how do you like to celebrate? What do I like to celebrate? You know, in, in many different ways. But I think you know, being Nigerians, I, I just love being around just people I love, and we love food. So just being around people where you know, in spaces where you don't have to explain who you are, or you don't have to justify your existence, and just celebrating eating and just laughing. For me, that's how I celebrate. It's just being around people or being in spaces where I don't have to explain why I'm there, you know, and then just celebrating each other through a lot of eating. We, we like food. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and I always like to have my guests share how they like to be supported. So if listeners can support your work, where would you like for mm. them to go? Oh, well, thank you. I mean, I am, um, I'm, at Lola Akimade on different uh, social media channels. You know, you can also Google. And uh, I've, I've got, uh, right now, I've, I've actually set up my photography store. So, uh, so I'm, I've got a lot of photos for sale, you know, so people can check that out. You know, I've got my image bank. And I am actually working on a, an academy right now. So that's going to be, uh, I'm going to be creating a bunch of courses on photography, writing, business, um, self-development. And this is something people have been asking for years because I have been in this industry for years and been able to have some kind of longevity, right? True consistency. And so that's what I'm going to try and teach people as well, just how you find your passion, stay true to your voice, build your own brand so that it's kind of, it stays true to you even after close to 20 years, right? So that's something I'm working on. But uh, if you go to my website, you know, akimade.com, there are links to all of those. Yeah. Well, thank you so very much. We appreciate you. I appreciate you taking the time to share all these gorgeous things, gorgeous ideas. Thank you so much. And it's a huge honor for me to, to be here. Thank you. You have yourself a gorgeous day. And you too. And thank you too. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Ah, um, ba-dum.